What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. You are Locked On Packers, your daily podcast on the Green Bay Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are Locked On Packers. Hello, this is Bill Huber, the publisher of PackerReport.com, part of the Scout.com network, which brings some of the best NFL and college football coverage that you can find anywhere. First, I'd like to thank you for helping to make the Locked On Podcast Network the fastest growing podcast network in the world. And I'd also like to thank you for checking out my stuff over at PackerReport.com. Annual members get a year subscription to Sports Illustrated, an unbeatable deal along with our 10% discounts on tickets through Ticket Monster and gear through Fanatics. What a great weekend of games to get you back without the Packers this weekend. First and foremost for the Packers, Minnesota lost at Philadelphia. I watched that game for 10 minutes. At one point, uh, Vikings quarterback Sam Bradford was intercepted in the end zone. And then Carson once fumbled on a handoff. And then Bradford fumbled. So in a, and that was, I, think, I think that was all in a row. So three consecutive turnovers. I watched the game for about 10 minutes, and then I went out and did yard work with my kids. The, the game I did watch last night, Seattle tied Arizona 6-6. to A great game, in my opinion. Now, my, my wife was bored of tears and did Facebook the whole game, but I thought it was a great game. 6-6 to draw. Both kickers did their own rendition of, I can do anything, you can do better. Except they did it worse. Both kickers... Chip shot field goals missed in, in overtime, including the Seahawks. Steven Hauschka missed a, I don't know, I even know how long it was, you know, maybe 23 yards. It was so far to the left that he missed the net. It was about the worst kick I've ever seen. It, was, it made Mason Crosby's um, game-losing field goal against Detroit last year at Lambeau look like a thing of beauty. You remember Crosby's kick, was, I think it was 52 yards, and he... Miss hit the ball and it went about 20 yards. Well, this kick was probably worse. It was, I mean, he had the distance from 23 yards, but it was so far left he missed the net and ball went into the stands. Awful kick. So that leads you to the, the NFC standings here. Dallas in first place at 5-1. Minnesota in second place at 5-1. Or in 5-1. Seattle third at 4-1-1. and Atlanta, the NFC North leader, is 4-3 and in fourth place. Uh, obviously, the Falcons host the Packers on Sunday. Atlanta lost 33 to 30 at home to San Diego in overtime. The Falcons had a fourth down near midfield, their own side of midfield, against the Chargers in overtime, and they went for it, didn't get it, and then the Falcons or the uh, Chargers had a pretty easy drive for the winning field goal. So, a dubious decision there, and that will will certainly be a storyline coming into this week. So it's it's Dallas, Minnesota, Seattle, and Atlanta. That's the top four. Green Bay fifth at four and two. Philadelphia 6-4-2, and on their heels, Detroit, Washington, and the Giants are all 4-3. The Redskins, or excuse me, the Lions beat the Redskins 20-17. Another fourth quarter comeback by Matthew Stafford. The Lions have four wins. Stafford's got all those wins with fourth quarter comebacks, including game-winning touchdown drives in the opener. And then again on Sunday, he is, other than Tom Brady, the most clutch quarterback in the NFL. For today's podcast, I talked to Wayne Larravee before Thursday night's game against the Bears. Wayne is obviously the voice of the Green Bay Packers. 
Through a lengthy broadcast career that includes being the voice of the Bears and Bulls as well, Wayne's got a million stories. And he shares some of those in If These Walls Could Talk, Green Bay Packers, stories from the Green Bay Packers sideline, locker room and press box by Larravee, and my good friend Rob Reichel. If These Walls Could Talk is published by Triumph Books and includes some of Wayne's stories, including behind the scenes in the draft room as the Packers acquired Brett Favre and what it took to land a Hall of Famer in Green Bay, the highs and lows of the 2003 playoffs, from Al Harris's pick six to the dreaded fourth and 26 game at Philly. An explanation of the origin of Larrabee's trademark dagger call, and a look at the future of the current Packers team led by quarterback Aaron Rodgers. You can get the book through Triumph Books and all the usual online outlets, including Amazon. And with that, on to my interview with Wayne. He did the Bulls, he did the Bears. So obviously you got two powerhouse teams that you did back in the 80s. Yeah, 80s so, and 90s. Yeah, so why why make the move to Green Bay? Well, you know, for me, I had always grown up a Green Bay Packers fan. I was always fascinated with the Packers, Lambeau Field, the Lombardi years. That's when I grew up as a kid and became a fan at seven years older thereabouts. So I had always said in my career, you know, it would be fun. I would think it would be fun if... Um, you know, we don't really ever get a chance to, to go where we want to go. In our, my business, you kind of go where the job is, and whoever wants to hire you. And I said, you know, if I ever had a chance to do the Packers, that's the, that's the place I'd like to go and do those games. So that was always kind of a, a you know, career-long goal in that regard, even though, uh, you know, in order to do that, I had to leave a great market like Chicago. Okay. Um, that 85 Bears team was one of the best ever. I mean, I hate to say it to the, to yeah. the 1960s Packer fans listening, but oh, that, was a, that was a juggernaut. But is there any comparison to the, to the 2010 team, whether on the field or on a personal, just covering it? No, um, it was completely different, Bill. That was our first year in Kansas City. And the thing that made that um, uh, unique was that, you know, I got there in June, and I had done the broadcast the Chiefs, Marv Levy's Chiefs, and then John Makovic. Um, for somewhere seven years, and the best they ever did was a nine and seven season, and lost six of their last eight to get to nine and seven under Marv Levy. And then the following year, Marv got fired, uh, and then went on to a stellar career um, with the uh, Buffalo Bills. But I get to Chicago; it's 1985. I remember June of '85. I get there, and you know, the, there's this high hope for the Bears. They had kind of won the division the year before in a bit of a surprise, and they made it into the playoffs, knocked off Washington at Washington, mm-hmm. which was big at that time, and got to San Francisco uh, into a playoff game, NFC Championship game with the Niners, and got hammered 21 to nothing. Um, now, they didn't have Jim McMahon and a lot of their people on offense, but that defense was still there. And when I got to uh, training camp in Platteville, um, to me, you know, I had never been around a group of people that large with that single purpose, single goal. Uh, I've never seen a group focused on one thing. Mm-hmm. And as you got to know them a little bit better, you realize, oh, these are not only just talented people, but players, but they're incredible people in that uh, uh, they all had their own agenda. They all wanted to, you know, they all had their own personality, and it was uh, a bombastic group of people that was put together. It, it's not like, you know, you had a bunch of alpha dogs mm-hmm. in that locker room, and that usually doesn't work uh, in sports. You know, there's a pecking order to team play, and that team didn't have one, but for that one season, see, this goal of winning the Super Bowl, winning Super Bowl twenty, galvanized them from early July 
all the way through the end of January when they uh, defeated uh, New England to win that Super Bowl. But it's funny, Bill, with that team because it is the best team I've ever been around. But uh, they went to, went to one Super Bowl right. and, and only came close a few years later when they lost to the San Francisco 49ers in Soldier Field and got decisively whipped by the 49ers after the 2000 or the uh, 1998 or 1988 season. But that team was so good that when they won that Super Bowl, suddenly the one thing that bound all of those alpha dogs, all those personalities, all those agendas together was gone. Interesting. And it busted loose, and everybody was on their own after that, it seemed like, in terms of, you know, especially outside interests and that type of thing. They, had a, they went 14-2 and two the next year, nothing mm-hmm. to sneeze at. But it was a bad 14-2. and two. We knew they were much better. They were getting by teams. I think they won a game up here in Green Bay on a late field goal or something like that. You know, they were, they were everybody was playing them close, it seemed like. They get to the playoffs, they about Washington at home, underdog Washington at home in the division playoffs, and the Redskins beat them. And it was like, oh, my gosh, no, nobody could believe they lost. The next year they came back with better resolve. They played the Giants, the defending Super Bowl champs, on a Monday night to start the season, and they were rolling. Um, but that was, what, uh, 1987, and there was a strike that interrupted right, okay. that year. By the time they got back, they weren't quite the same team. They get the Redskins, however, once again in a playoff game at home and get beat even worse by the Redskins. You know, hard to believe that the Bears at home, two consecutive years in the playoffs, to the same team, would lose both times. But they did. And so by then, after, after that, some pieces started falling off of that team, and um, they weren't quite the same. Uh, they made a nice run in 1988, got to the championship game, lost to San Francisco, and that's pretty much the window of opportunity closing on the Ditka Bears at that point. Okay. You picked a good time to come to Green Bay. You got this team right on the rise. It was impeccable timing. Well, in 99 I came, and uh, it was kind of, you know, it was, it was that two, that Super Bowl team that went to two Super Bowls, okay? Uh, winning in 96, the, after the 96 season, losing uh, in a colossal upset in the playoffs, and they still talk about this, um, you know, to the Broncos in '97, uh, so '98 they lose that playoff game. Jim and Max's last game out in San Francisco on a kind of a funky couple of calls and play, and then a ter- right. Terrell Owens pass. But all those guys are coming back. Holmgren's left, um, but all those guys for the most part are back. And everybody expected 1999 they'd get it back together, and then boom, they'd be back in it. But Freeman uh, held out a little bit. Antonio Freeman, when he came back, he wasn't the same player. And, and that team, I watched them in training camp, and I, I got the feeling that I said, boy, this does not look like a championship team to me. And, and certainly they weren't. They struggled to go 8-8. Eight and eight. Are probably the most fun play you've ever covered? Yeah, I'd say so. He's, 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 um, his press conference, just his Wednesday, Wednesday press conferences, they were must-see. They were like Ditka's Monday press conferences in Chicago in the 80s and that everybody was there, the live eyes and everything, and you just didn't know what Ditka was going to say with Brett. You, you didn't know what he was going to say either, but he was going to talk and he was going to you know, kind of spin the yarn, and, and his answers to questions were more stories than they were answers. Mm-hmm. And it was just it was great. It was a lot of fun. He was great to cover, exciting in, in every, every way, but... Uh, the one thing you always worried about with Brett, uh, coming down the stretch of the game on the line, you know, he could make the great play to win it, and he did many times. But later in his career, some of those moments um, that were in, ended in interceptions as the uh, final game here at Lambeau Field for him uh, as a Packer ended in that Giants championship game. So for me, when I cover a game, I don't care if they win or lose. It makes a difference to me. How about you? Is that better, 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 is it more fun to cover for you a winning team? 
Yes. Or, yes. Must, yeah. No question. If you're, especially if you're a broadcaster, Bill, I don't know if you're a writer, if it makes a whole lot of difference right. because, you know, the intrigue of a losing team and why they're losing and all that uh, certainly comes to the fore. So for a, a writer, for a, um, uh, just a reporter, for a talk show host, as a matter of fact, it's better for the talk show host if they're losing because <laughs> it's, right. you know, more anger and, and that whole ridiculous medium of being a talk show host, that all, whole thing is, is based on, on negativity anyway. But for the broadcasters, and again, when I was with the Chiefs, I wanted to see them win. When I was with the Bears, I wanted to see them win. Why? Because it's always more fun and exciting to cover a winning team, to chronicle verbally a winning team. Uh, a team that's losing, uh, that's tough to do because, you know, again, people are listening to you, hoping for good news, mm -hmm. and you're not delivering it because good news isn't happening out there. So, yeah, I root for the Packers. This is a little different uh, now than anywhere else I've been in my career. Uh, you could always separate yourself from like, um, if I wanted the Bears to win, if they didn't win, the 49ers won that playoff game. Yeah, was I disappointed? Yeah. But to me as a fan, the other part of me, and we're all fans. We mm -hmm. wouldn't be here if we right. weren't fans, okay? So all of us in the media that cover sports, we're all fans. Uh, but that part of me could say, well, yeah, too bad the Bears lost, but it wasn't like the Packers lost or the Yankees lost, my other team. Um, so, you know, but now the difference is now yeah. when the Packers lose, yeah, my team lost. So, um, but no, and the other thing I have to do in a broadcast, Bill, that's hard, is there comes a point where you have to separate that feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially it's harder when it goes bad because now, uh, you know, I'm like these fans out here the other day booing. You know, right. I'm kind of angry and kind of upset. My team's not playing the way I think it should be playing and all that stuff. Well, I, I'm on the air. I'm yeah. broadcasting the game. I can't let that seep into the broadcast. And, you know, I have to admit, sometimes it does. But I guess that's kind of the passion of the whole thing. But that's the thing that's toughest is when it's going bad and when you, you're ready to be like a fan and say, oh, my God, you know, you can't do that because right. you're broadcasting the game. You've been with a lot of coaches. Who is your favorite one to work with? <laughs> Gosh, there's a whole chapter in the book, a couple of chapters on coaches. Um, I would say Ray Rhodes, and I remember talking to Merrill Reese, the uh, longtime voice of the Eagles, and he had Ray for about three or four years. Ray was just great to work with. Ray understood the media. He understood what was going on. And by that, I mean the broadcast okay. um, media, the, the people who were covering the team, the, the broadcast team. He understood our role, Larry McCarron and me. And he was very good with me, uh, you know, getting ready to do that pregame interview. He was e easily the best to work with. He would tell me things on the side about the team, They're not necessarily for broadcast, but he understood uh, that I was not going to betray his confidence in any way, shape, or form, that it would only help me, you know, define my broadcast a little bit better. So um, he was the best to work with. McCarthy's very good. Um, Mike, uh, to me... Um, you know, the thing I like about him is that whether he likes the question or not, he's going to come up with an answer for yeah. it. You know what I mean? He's going to have an answer, and he's not going to make it sound like he's ticked off at you, even though afterward he might be. But I, I appreciate that. Mike, I appreciate his professionalism in the pregame interview. Mike Sherman was, without a doubt, the absolute worst to work with. 
And I remember talking in the book about him, you know, I said, he and I should have been really tight. We're both from Massachusetts, both used to vacation on Cape Cod, not together, but we're, we have the same background and all. Um, you know, grew up as a kids following the Packers, the Lombardi Packers. Uh, you know, we should have hit it off real well. Mm -hmm. And we did. Uh, we were, Mike got the job, we were paired up at uh, the Lombardi, at the same table at the Lombardi Awards Banquet, which they used to have in March okay. uh, to honor someone and uh, raise money for the Cancer Research Fund. Mike and his wife and my wife and I were at this table. We had a great time. But three months later, something started turning and, you know, um, it became a real grind for me to deal with Mike Sherman. He did not like or respect me, and I came to not like him. Let's put it that way. I don't want to get any stronger in my words. It's interesting. I mean, you would think everyone would respect the job that you have to do. I mean, you are the voice of the Packers, right? And you figured it's just kind of mystifying that the, the relationship on his end. I don't see that. Out. I don't see that. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, I, I thought that too, but I, I haven't seen that here, to be honest with you. I, I think football, the thing about football people and the football organization, um, if you're in uniform, mm -hmm. if you're wearing the uniform, I think, you know, you're in there, yeah. you're with them. Everyone else is against them. It's kind of the way, and it's not indigenous to this staff. It's not indigenous to this team. It's the way it is around the league. And it's even worse today because of the Belichick factor. Sure. And everybody, and I don't care what any of these people say, they're all trying to be the New England Patriots. Mm -hmm. Why not? They win Super Bowls. They make the playoffs every year. They go to the championship game every year. And then when they don't win the Super Bowl, they're usually losing the Super Bowl. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that year after year? But that's kind of, so that whole, you know, uh, guarded type of, well, uh, you know, this is private information. It's, uh, you know, all this stuff that the teams do. And not just the Packers again. I'm not talking right. necessarily about the Packers because they're pretty open But compared to most teams. But I'm seeing it around the league. It used to be a league that was very open. And today no they don't want to tell you anything um you know uh he's got a lower body injury they're you know, <laughs> kind of getting to be like hockey now so um uh, that's the thing i've noticed the biggest change in the nfl in the 38 years i've been here there was a time back when pete rosell was running the nfl in the uh, 70s and 80s the pr guy would advance the game from the visiting team lee rummel would come into chicago or whatever or kansas city wherever i was working and if i wasn't at the thursday meeting you know when he was meeting the press and mm -hmm. giving out all the information of the pa packets and everything he would call me and say hey wayne what can i help you with um and and they all did this all these <laughs> wow. guys can i set up an interview with so and so and can you know, this that and the other i mean that's the way it was back then today if you talk to <laughs> if i call a pr guy on the phone today and ask questions he'll say you mean you didn't read that on page 576 of the packet I sent you? And, and another, the other thing, none of them want to comment because I remember last year talking to the Bears guy, and he didn't want it. He didn't want it. I asked him, you know, who's who's going in a nickel and that type of thing. Well, I can't tell you that. You know, and I know I could watch it on TV and all that, but they had a couple yeah. of different people. I was just trying to get a feel for their personnel groupings, and oh, I can't tell you that. You know, and it's just, it comes from football, it's the coaches, it's that um, whole mentality has changed in the NFL over the 40 years I've been around. It's football, right? I mean, I, mean, I understand it's important, but at the end of the day, it's like, it's football. What the hell, what are you so secretive about? I mean, there's times where you go and get the injury report and, you know, so-and-so will be fine and six hours later he's on injured reserve. It's like, there's no competitive advantage there, but it's just, it is... They all, they all do it. They all do it. They all do it. And it's it's ridiculous, but I always felt that, you know, I think Belichick probably is this way, and I know Mike Sherman was, that number one, the job of being a head coach in the NFL is the toughest job you'll ever do. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's the toughest job in the world, Bill. Okay, far exceeding the presidency of the United States. 
Okay, the second thing is that everybody's out to get us. Everybody is out to get us. Um, and it's us against the world uh, in this locker room. And, and the other thing is that, you know, you could never understand what we do. You know, if you haven't been out there playing 15 years in the NFL, you can't understand what we do. That's kind of the mentality of the football operations in the National Football League today. What's your favorite story in the book? It puts you in the spots. You've got a million stories in the oh, book. Oh, but... gosh. Um, favorite story in the book? I think it really was the, the Super Bowl run of 2010. Because that was such an improbable situation. I mean, to see a team with that many players on the injured reserve list and the starters and all that, mm -hmm. that, that you know, the, what they did, I really respect Mike McCarthy a lot because of what he did. You know, the different things he did that we talk about in the book, starting at training camp when he got everybody into the team room and Mike had, had these pictures, uh, these team pictures of all the 12 Packers championship teams in that room and then mm -hmm. a blank fr frame out there and his first meeting he says to the team he says fellas this is where our picture goes this year and uh, you know that's where it started and there were so many things that happened throughout that season that he did behind the scenes you see I, I think you know people I, the difference and I compare him a lot to uh, the best coach I've ever been around is Phil Jackson okay? mm -hmm. right. he's only won 11 championships so uh, but he's the best coach I've ever seen um, Phil could do X's and O's with anybody. I know, I've been to enough shoot-arounds to, to know that, and I've seen, seen him work. But what made him special, what makes any coach on this level, all these guys, John Fox, Mike McCarthy, all these guys, Bill Belichick, they can do X's and O's with the best right. of them. The difference in these guys is some have a feel for people, and especially their people, mm -hmm. and understand that aspect of the job. Others don't. Others just, you know, it's my way or the highway. We're going to do it this way. It's worked before, and we'll, we'll make it work. We're going to put this square peg into this round hole, and by the time we get done with it, that round hole is going to be a square peg. That's not how it works. It doesn't work that way, and especially doesn't work that way today with all the player movement that goes on to the NFL. What's the most memorable game ever? that you covered? It doesn't have to be a Packers. I mean, I know you do college games. You did the NBA. Oh boy. Is there anything just for the oddity of it or just the sheer excitement of anything that you know, so. you know what? <laughs> I don't know if it was the most memorable game. I mean, the Super Bowl was really hard to do because of our broadcast location in the end zone in Dallas. And that was just a real tough game to do. Um, the great memory is that they won it. Um, the best game I've ever done was a game that nobody talks about anymore. It was a one-game regular season playoff in the penultimate uh, week of the regular season. I want to say it was 1994. Packers-Vikings on Christmas Eve in Minnesota. I don't know if you remember that yeah. game. Dante Culpepper, Brett Favre, up and down the field, up and down. And the Packers finally won it in the final seconds on a walk-off field goal by Ryan Longwell. Um, it was the best broadcast I've ever done. It was the, one of the best games, if not the best game I've ever done. The Packers win the division on that game. They play in Chicago the following week, and uh, the Vikings go to Washington to lose. And, but then the Vikings come to Green Bay two weeks later. And they just hammered the Packers that day. And mm -hmm. Randy Moss mooned the crowd in the south end zone. And, and since that time, nobody remembers that great game, which at the time was a tremendous victory because the Packers never won in the Metrodome back in those days. That was a tremendous victory for them. And, you know, Christmas Eve game and the whole bit, the only game played that day, it was great. And nobody remembers it. Nobody talks about it because they didn't win the ultimate prize. So in the book we talk about it, what, if, what happens Packers win the Ice Bowl here in 1967 over the Cowboys. What if in two weeks later, they go to the Orange Bowl of Miami and lose to the Raiders? Is anyone talking about the Ice Bowl? Probably not. Right. Sports is, is, puts history, is a harsh judge of history, let me put it that way. 
if you have a great moment, it either better be the ultimate moment in the ultimate game, or it better lead to that ultimate moment in the ultimate game. Otherwise, it gets forgotten. Did you mention how much losses are eat at you? How about that 14 championship game in Seattle? How, how hard was that to, as a broadcaster to endure those five minutes? Yeah, even less than that. Um, yeah, that's that's tough. That and fourth and twenty-six. I was going to ask you that. The yeah. two toughest games um, I've ever broadcast. I just felt really terrible for the team, for the players. You know, two thousand fourteen, Bill. Um, it, it didn't start great. They kind of that's where you know they month in the season, whatever it was. Aaron Rodgers did the relax line, and, and they started to take off from there. But they put that thing together. That team had to be put together. One week they got the running game going, the passing game going. Then they made an adjustment on defense and started stopping the run with Clay inside. And then they played the Patriots and beat them, and they were really taking off. And um, that team. There were three teams at the end of that year. There are only a handful of teams at the end of any given season that are Super Bowl capable. And there were three of them that year. New England and the AFC. No one else was going to the Super Bowl except New England. And then there were two in the NFC, Seattle and Green Bay. And the Packers, who had started that season with a bad loss in Seattle, mm -hmm. end up there at the end of the season NFC championship game. And for 55 minutes, as you mentioned, just beat the living daylights out of the Seahawks. And it was tremendous. Um, that, I felt so bad for the team and for the players, and you know, I knew that there would be a residual hangover off of that game. I knew the following year, Bill, I knew last year was going to be like last year. Forget about Jordy's injury. I don't know how you come back from a game like that. Seattle didn't. They, they finally got it together late in the season, Seattle, and really played well. So did the Packers in the playoffs, but um, the Seattle went to the Super Bowl after that epic uh, championship game which, by the way, no one in Seattle talks about because they lost to New England in the Super Bowl the following year and lost in excruciating fashion. And they struggled the next year, too. I remember the two teams meeting like week two here. Week two, yeah. You know, and neither team resembled the, uh, the teams that had met the previous January uh, in that game. Um, people don't understand the impact of either getting to a Super Bowl and losing it or winning a Super Bowl even. There's impact. Teams change. Individuals change. Everything changes. And, you know, it's hard to put that... It's hard to put that kind of a loss behind you and the next year go out and be, the, be yourself. So do you think this team can get back to that level? I think this team is going through a very difficult challenge. Um, you know, if you believe in windows of opportunity, then um, it, it's easy to say that, well, maybe on the, the, that team that had won the Super Bowl, much of the core was still there in 2004, uh, 2014 that won the Super Bowl after the 2010 season. A lot of that core is still there. In 2014 in that championship game, um, an analyst told me, you know, I think the window of opportunity is closed on this bunch. And I don't know if it did or not, but you can pry it back open. Mm -hmm. But that is the toughest thing to do because once your time has passed in this league, you know, the Patriots have recreated themselves you know, around Tom Brady over a couple of, over a decade or more uh, at different times. What the Packers are trying to do with this core is get it open, get that window open right. one more time and get to the Super Bowl and get it done. Again, with Aaron Rodgers and Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb, these guys, you know, and, and some of those offensive linemen that were so much a part of that Super Bowl team. It's hard to do, Bill. It's hard to reopen that window. That's their challenge, in my opinion, this year. All right. Wayne Larrabee, thank you for your time. Good to be with you, Bill. Enjoy thank the game you. tonight. Thank you. A big thanks to Wayne for taking some time out before the game on Thursday to talk to me for this podcast. He's up in Green Bay every Thursday, so we've talked about getting together on Thursday making, and making him a special guest for the Friday podcast. 
And with that, that will wrap up this episode of Lockdown Packers. Be sure to check out the rest of the great Lockdown Podcast Network and my work over at PackerReport.com. Have a great day, everybody, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst.